friends. I'm Kaylin. And I'm Logan. And this is Bones, a true crime podcast. This week, we're going to tell you about the tragic murder of Anthony Avalos. If you want to see pictures related to this week's case, you can follow us on Instagram at Bones, a true crime pod, or find us on our Facebook page, Bones, a true crime podcast. If you have questions or case suggestions, you can email us at bonesatruecrimepodcast at gmail.com. Subscribing to our episode and leaving positive reviews are one of the best ways you can help support us. We appreciate you all so much. Now let's dive in. This is going to be the first case I've covered that doesn't take place here in Missouri. Logan, are you familiar with the case of Anthony Avalos? I don't think I've heard of this case, so this is going to be like a first for me and our listeners. Okay, so I knew that you probably hadn't, and probably a lot of our listeners haven't, but I know that you've heard of Gabriel Fernandez, the Netflix documentary that was released in 2020. Yes, yep, I do know that case. So the case I have for you this week is eerily similar and equally as heartbreaking. Like Gabriel Fernandez, Anthony was brutally murdered and had endured a lifetime of abuse. This is honestly going to be really hard to talk about, and it's a very heavy episode. I'm going to do my best not to cry through it, but I feel like I'm extra sensitive to cases involving children now that I have my own babies. Um, Yes, same. I can't see anything regarding children without like having a meltdown. So yeah, we might both be crying. (laughs) This might be a bad one. So, Anthony Avalos was a 10-year-old boy who lived in Lancaster, California with his mother, Heather Barron, Heather's boyfriend, Kareem Leva, and six younger half-siblings. It's important to note that the three youngest siblings were fathered by Kareem, while the oldest four in the house had multiple fathers. All of the children that were living in the house had the same mother, so they were all half-siblings. Anthony's biological father left his mother when he was only six or seven months old. His mother and father didn't have any other children together. Anthony's biological father didn't seem to be incredibly active in Anthony's life, but he was still gutted by his murder nonetheless. I won't be using the other children's name in this case just to protect their identities and because it isn't relevant to the understanding of the case. Like I mentioned, there are several siblings, so so not using their names may get confusing, but I'll try to accurately describe who I'm referring to when necessary. If you are incredibly curious, the siblings' names aren't hard to find, unfortunately. I do hate that for them because they didn't choose to be in the spotlight and associated with such a tragedy. All of my sources are heavy on the fact that Anthony's siblings are only half-siblings. While I understand the importance of this discrepancy, these children were all being raised together by their mother. Considering all of the children lived together and experienced the same lifestyle, I think it's fair to say that they shared trauma. Despite the love they didn't receive from their parents, these kids loved each other. They knew what they were dealing with at home was not normal. In the summer of 2018, Anthony had just completed the fourth grade at El Dorado Elementary in California. Anthony was excited to begin his summer break, along with his six younger siblings. Anthony told his teacher that he anticipated getting to see her again when he came back to start fifth grade. Anthony's fourth grade teacher, Harmony Bell, said that she had no idea what Anthony was going home to that day or that she would never see Anthony again. Anthony would often bring Harmony graham crackers from the cafeteria and confide in her about his love for the Bible. 
Harmony thought that Anthony was going home to have a fun summer. Anthony was always drawing Harmony pictures and writing her letters. When asked to describe Anthony, Harmony said that Anthony was everyone's best friend and was always happy. My mom is a first grade teacher and I know how much she loves her kids. They grow a strong relationship throughout the year, like it sounds like Anthony developed with his teacher. It must have been gut-riching to find out what Anthony's home life was like. I also wonder if Anthony didn't love his teacher so much because he didn't have that loving mother figure in his life. I remember kids in school that weren't blessed with pleasant home lives. They often seemed to be the kids who would cling to their relationship with their teachers just a little bit more. Harmony read the last letter that Anthony wrote her when she was on the stand testifying against his abusers. Anthony wrote this. I just want to stay with you forever, but I can't. I just hope you have a good rest of your life because you already know that I'm going to have a good life. When we were in fourth grade, we were in the same class together, Logan. The next year we started fifth grade, we were really just right across the hall from our old fourth grade classroom. I remember often stopping back in to say hi and talk to our fourth grade teacher. I kind of imagined that is what it would have been like for Anthony and Harmony. I can't say for sure because it was a much larger school, but it just kind of brought back to reality that this was like a real child going through this. Lots of people don't understand our school dynamic. Even like nowadays, schools the same size as like where we grew up in Mansfield. I'm like, you switch classes starting in third grade? Like what? <laughs> like we didn't even go to a different building until sixth grade. Yeah, it's so weird how different dynamics are in different schools. So while Anthony was known for being a joy in the life of others, he experienced a tragic and troubling life that no child should have to suffer through. The first reported case of abuse occurred when Anthony was just four years old. Anthony was often dropped off with his maternal grandmother, Wendy, and her husband, who Anthony considered his grandfather. What Anthony wasn't old enough to know or understand was that his mother was knowingly dropping him off with a sex offender. Heather's mother's husband, so Heather's stepfather, was an ex-con who had begun abusing Heather at the age of eight. We'll find out throughout this that Heather had a pretty tragic upbringing also. Not that that's an excuse, but you can kind of feel sad for like baby Heather, just not adult Heather that doesn't protect her own babies. Shortly after the abuse started for Heather, her mother and stepfather would be married. It's important to note that he had sexually assaulted Heather's sister, but not her brother. So the abuse started much younger for Anthony than it did his mother. He was only four years old, taking a bath at his grandparents' house the first time his grandfather molested him. Heather claims that she thought Anthony was safe with her mother and stepfather because he was a boy. Heather knew her stepfather didn't touch her brother, so she used that to justify her actions. Either way, Heather still knowingly left her child with a predator time and time again. There are no excuses for leaving your child in that situation. If it were not for the intervention of Anthony's aunt and uncle, Heather would not have reported her stepdad to the Department of Child and Family Services. I'll be calling the Department of Child and Family Services by the acronym DCFS throughout this episode. It's just shorter, but I know a lot of places have different acronyms, so I wanted to go ahead and clarify what we're talking about. 
DCFS is supposed to respond to the immediate needs of any child at risk of abuse or neglect. If Anthony's aunt and uncle reported the abuse that Anthony was enduring, Heather risked having all of her children taken. Heather only agreed to make the report on her own so that her siblings would not. Heather didn't want to lose custody of her children, which I didn't fully understand at first, but I will explain that later. Heather was not making the report for the well-being of Anthony, though, and she ignored the recommendation to get Anthony in therapy. Even though Heather filed a case with DCFS, it didn't go anywhere due to the lack of evidence. She chose not to press charges against her child's first abuser. This is incredibly confusing and frustrating to me. Why did Heather care to keep custody of her children? It can't be because she loved them. She didn't love them enough to protect them or to put their well-being before her own. I'm also annoyed that the proper channels were taken and it didn't help Anthony. We're going to hear about the system failing him time and time again throughout this episode. Heather also chose not to take Anthony to therapy despite the fact that it was recommended. Therapy should not have been optional. They should have forced his mother, Heather, to provide him with the help processing the trauma he had experienced at such a young age. It sickens me to even call her his mother because she is such a piece of trash and she is not a mother to him. I know sometimes people don't press charges on their children's behalf because they don't want to put them through the trial, but I don't believe that was the case here. This is another scenario that Heather could have put her children first. She could have taken her son's place. Heather was abused too. She could have pushed to have her stepfather convicted for the abuse that she endured. I can't say for sure, but with as involved as her siblings were, I can imagine her sister would have been willing to testify on Anthony's behalf also. Their testimonies could have taken a predator off the streets and protected any other future victims that I'm sure he had. Since he wasn't convicted, he didn't have any jail time or consequences. This is only the beginning of DCFS failures and the first time documented that Heather failed her son. I'm really hard on Heather during this episode, which I have no regrets for. But there were other trusted adults that either hurt or didn't help Anthony when it was needed. Heather wasn't the only one who had her hand forced in the situation with her stepfather. Wendy, Heather's mother, was also given an ultimatum. She had to choose between her grandchildren or her husband. Ultimately, her grandchildren won and she left her husband, but it should have been a no-brainer. She should have kicked him out as soon as the allegations came to light. I think Wendy is also showing Heather that it's okay to defend your spouse, even when their actions are so unforgivable. And I can't help but kind of wonder, I mean, you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong, but if maybe Heather and her sister could have came forward and talked to their mom about what was going on with them, and maybe she just brushed it under the rug, kind of like they did with Anthony. So I feel like situations like this, especially when it's generational trauma, like you're talking about, it's a repeat. Your children go through the same things you go through. I feel like a lot of times when things aren't handled correctly with you, like in Heather's case, it wasn't handled correctly with her before. She didn't really know how to handle it with Anthony. That's not an excuse. I'm not like justifying what she did, but I feel like that she was just like at fault from the get go just because of all of her experiences. So I kind of go through, and I say that over and over again throughout this episode, 
I'm not justifying her actions, but it can, you can see that maybe the reason she did these things were from past traumas that she experienced rather than just the way that she decided to raise her children. Anthony would also have several more attempts to save him from this awful situation he was in, though. Within just four years, DCFS received at least 13 calls regarding Anthony's well-being. Some sources stated that there were up to 16 calls, though. The numbers were so back and forth on those two, I didn't want to definitely say that it was 16, but 13 are confirmed. Despite all of these efforts made, the system failed Anthony and his siblings epically. Anthony and his siblings would spend four years confiding in trusted adults just to be ignored. Their abusers fooled multiple DCFS workers and some law enforcement by hiding the severity of the abuse. Some DCFS workers claimed that they talked to their supervisors because they knew things were seriously wrong in this household. Their supervisors told them that there was nothing to be done and they didn't have enough evidence to make a case. Kareem and Heather did make an effort to hide their abuse from DCFS. They just didn't have to try very hard to fool them. Kareem was a member of the gang M13. Kareem had multiple children of his own that he did not raise, which those children should probably be thankful for. Kareem was involved in the lives of some of his children, and I don't think he did them any favors by blessing them with his presence. He also had several claims of physical abuse filed against him from previous relationships. Because of Kareem's shady past and current associations, he would hide from the DCFS workers when they came by. So DCFS didn't know that he was even living with Heather and their children. The couple didn't want the children taken away because of the government benefits that came with having seven children. And Heather would hide Kareem's clothing and shoes so there was no evidence of him living there while he stayed with his parents. Heather's mother, Wendy, would help by cleaning their house and stocking their refrigerator and pantry before they would come to investigate. Wendy helped Heather avoid DCFS seeing the actual conditions these babies were living in. Instead of removing them from a toxic environment, she enabled her daughter. I love my children so much, but if they were making poor choices, I would do everything I could to protect their children. Kids are just so innocent and vulnerable, they deserve to be protected. They don't get to choose the life that they have or really make any decisions for themselves that could change the outcome of their life. In October 2014, a therapist did an assessment of the home and had concerns that Heather was a cold and detached mother. The therapist relayed this information to the social worker, but didn't think the social worker on the case was taking her findings seriously. This therapist was so concerned that she made her own call to DCFS. She was seriously concerned about the children's well-being and thought that Heather needed a parenting class. Her, her concerns were quickly dismissed, and it was out of her hands. Heather needed a whole lot more than a parenting class. And while I'm aware some of that could have been from the way she was raised, her siblings were raised in the same environment. Yet her siblings understood how wrong Heather was treating her kids and didn't make the same mistakes with their children. This goes back to a lot of like. Um, nature versus nurture like sometimes we see cases and I'm like oh yeah nurture definitely made them a psycho but then other people raise their children in perfectly like what you would say normal circumstances are and they still turn out to be psychos so 
I don't know that you can really say that it's one way or the other. Less than a year after that therapist report, in September of 2015, the Department of Children and Family Services received another call regarding the Barron household. This time, the call came from the vice principal at Anthony's school. Anthony had confided in his vice principal about some of the treatment he received at home. He confessed that his mother would hit him and his siblings with ping pong paddles or whatever was nearby. The children were locked in their room for hours at a time without access to the bathroom, food, or water, and would have to sit against a wall with their knees bent and arms stretched out as punishment. Again, the caseworker didn't feel there was enough evidence or claims to press charges. These cases weren't all overseen by the same caseworker either. There were multiple caseworkers dismissing these cases. They were spread out over the years. There isn't just one person at fault here. There were so many people in departments that continuously failed these children. This isn't something that happened 20 plus years ago either. This was still happening to the Barron family in 2016. While I'm sure these systems do save some children, it makes me sick to think of the other kids that are going through this while their parents just play the system. In April of 2016, DCFS was called once again. This call came from the daycare worker who took care of two of Anthony's younger siblings, though. The two siblings had bruises on their faces, and when asked about the bruises, the kids said their mother, Heather, made them fight each other. The children also confessed that Heather withheld food and water from them. Two weeks after this claim, the concerned daycare worker received a letter stating that the case was closed and no action would be taken. While all of these claims are horrific, they do not compare to the torture and abuse these sweet babies actually endured. I thought that the claims being made were terrifying, but they experienced even worse. Those stories that were reported to DCFS were just bits and pieces of a much bigger puzzle. They heard only a fraction of the horrific abuse that the Barron Kids Act endured. These babies were abused by pouring hot sauce on their faces and in their mouths. But to be more specific, some records state that it was squirted in their eyes, mouth, ears, and nose. They were forced to kneel on uncooked rice until their knees bled. They were whipped with belts and cords, held upside down, and then dropped on their heads, withheld from food, water, and bathroom privileges, and forced to eat trash. The siblings were even forced to fight each other, and the loser would have to face corporal punishment from Kareem. I mentioned earlier that Kareem was a member of a gang. He really used gang mentality with raising his kids. Kareem had also reportedly shoved his kids' faces in their own urine and feces. This would happen if they had an accident after being locked in their room for hours at a time. Their doors had locks on the outside. They had no way of using a toilet. Despite being well past the age of being potty trained, they would still have accidents when they physically couldn't hold it any longer, which isn't their fault. I've heard of people using this method to potty train their dogs, but I'm sure those people even treat their dogs better than Heather and Kareem treat their children. I mentioned earlier that Anthony's teacher had no idea what he was experiencing at home, but his classmates and a number of other trusted adults were aware of the bits and pieces that were shared with them. A student who took the stand in this case said that they had noticed that Anthony was always hungry. He would eat classmates' leftover food at lunch and would ask for extra snacks if they were available. Anthony didn't eat all of his food right away, though. He would save his food and share with his siblings at home, who were also suffering from starvation as a form of so-called discipline. 
this was not discipline. This was abuse. I want to remind you that Anthony would bring graham crackers back to his fourth grade teacher, Harmony Bell. He was starving and never knew when his next meal would be, but he still shared with his teacher. He was still trying to protect his younger siblings and take care of them by bringing them food, even though they were often forced against each other. I want to remind you that he was the older sibling. And as a big sister, I can, I can totally understand just doing whatever to protect your babies. Um, I feel like my brothers like could drive me absolutely crazy and I could get so mad at them. But if somebody else started to do something, it was just not okay. And I know you probably feel the same way about Gentry. Um, yes. So you obviously know how, I guess, mean I was to Gentry and probably still am to Gentry. I love to pick on her. But if anyone else picks on her, I go like full on psycho mode. Like, I'm serious. I don't think that I was going to make it through middle school without like beating some like 12 year old up I can attest to that there were many times we talked to you off a ledge yeah like I was trying to tell them to meet me at McDonald's but they couldn't even drive there so (laughs) the kids were also getting ready for summer so I'm curious if there was a backpack program or anything like that set up to help the kids like this over the summer I'm sure by the end of the weekend the kids are starving but at least five days a week, they knew they were being fed breakfast and lunch. You're probably wondering why Anthony's other family members let this happen and couldn't do more to protect him if things were this bad. Well, for starters, Heather had full custody of Anthony. Most of his family had not been able to see him for at least three years. Family members who were able to see the kids claimed that they often fought with Heather about how she treated her children and they were actually responsible for several of the DCFS calls. Heather's brother and sister appeared to be Anthony and his siblings' biggest supporters and advocates. They were fighting for the children, not their sister. One call specifically made by Anthony's uncle David was because he had noticed scabs on Anthony's ears from where Kareem would drag him around the house. Anthony then confided in David that that Kareem also dangled Anthony by his feet out of a second-story window. Anthony's Aunt Crystal said that she knew Kareem was bad news the first time she met him. She warned her sister, but it did no good. Anthony's aunt and uncle both expressed regret for trusting the system to protect these children as it should have. At the time, they believed that justice would be done and would keep their nieces and nephews safe. Anthony Avalos had been out of school just two weeks before his death. He potentially endured up to two weeks of consistent torture before his death on the 21st of June in 2018. We can't know exactly because his deadbeat parents tried to soften the harsh truth of what they did to their children in court, but it was proven to be at least five days in court. But every day seemed to inflict some sort of abuse for these children, so I don't think that's very fair to say it was only five days. Anthony had burn marks, hip injuries consistent with being slammed in a corner, was severely dehydrated and starved, spent the majority of his time locked in his bedroom, his feet were bruised from being beat with a belt, and he suffered a head injury. His siblings had to witness their brother on his consistent decline to death at the hands of those who were meant to protect them from harm. Just days before Anthony finally escaped the torture, he was rendered unconscious for five minutes by his stepfather, Kareem. Five minutes, he wasn't conscious, and there were no attempts to call for help. 
He endured more forms of abuse the following days until his body could not take any more. Anthony had been laying in his room for two days before his mother called 911 in an attempt to cover her own tale on the 20th of June. When first responders arrived, Anthony appeared to be brain dead and had no pulse. He was so severely dehydrated that all of, all of his veins were blown and they had to drill into his tibia to stick an IV into the femoral vein. He died in the hospital the very next day on the 21st. Kareem and Heather claimed that Anthony inflicted these injuries on his own and was choosing to starve himself. They even agreed to a polygraph. How do you even self-inflict injuries that severe? I don't know, but I don't think that these two were the brightest. I just wanted to say, like, working in the healthcare field, like, it takes a lot for you not to be able to get a vein um, to start an IV or even another artery. Like, your femoral artery is, like, last resort place to go to. So, like, someone that comes in and is in a severe car accident and, like, has broken bones everywhere, like, maybe that's where you go. Someone that you know, suffers a severe stroke and is like so swollen, you have nowhere to go. That would be somewhere that you would go. Like, there's no way that you should have to go there on a child this young. Like that just proves how awful his abuse had to have been. That that's the only place that they could find to stick an IV to try to save this poor little boy's life. Like, that's just crazy to me. I agree. So I actually wondered what you were going to like what your take was going to be on this because I knew that you used to be a phlebotomist and kind of well I mean you did have to deal with some things like this um but I didn't know if that was even heard of of having to do this on a little boy that his parents claim were choosing to starve and dehydrate himself but luckily authorities were not going to be fooled this time the police called their bluff and set up a polygraph when it came time for Kareem's polygraph, the authorities thought he was going to be a no-show. Being late to a polygraph is apparently a red flag typically for a guilty person, which makes sense. However, Kareem wasn't late. Police ended up finding him in the parking lot outside with a sweater wrapped around his neck. We all know polygraphs aren't reliable and they won't stand up in court. The thought of completing a polygraph had apparently scared Kareem enough to bypass it altogether. He admitted to his role in the murder of Anthony Avalos instead of making authorities investigate and convict him. Heather Barron and Kareem were both charged and convicted of first-degree murder and torture, as well as two counts of child abuse, one charge for each of Anthony's half-siblings that also suffered the abuse. It appears that Kareem didn't abuse the four children that him and Heather had together. There's no doubt that Kareem is a literal piece of garbage to be able to harm these children in the ways that he did. One of the most disturbing claims I read about him was during his confession. He was confessing to the brutal abuse and murder of Anthony while showing no remorse, shedding no tears, and eating McDonald's french fries. He was enjoying some salty fries while discussing the horrors he had inflicted on that poor baby. When investigators asked why he had a sweater wrapped around his neck, he removed it to reveal a horrible cut across his neck. He had attempted to cut his own throat with a box cutter, but failed. Some people think that he tried killing himself because of guilt, but I don't agree. I think he just didn't want to pay for the consequences of his actions. 
He knew he was going to be found guilty, and we've all heard the stories of prison justice. There's no question that when it comes to Kareem inflicting the methods of torture, he did he did not act alone. He was simply the enforcer. Heather is equally as guilty for her role in this chaos that they created. Heather's defense attempted to make her out to be the victim of domestic abuse, but that just wasn't true. She may have been abused. Kareem abused all of his last partners. Heather was abusing and neglecting her children before Kareem came into the picture, though. Heather would not look at any of the photos of Anthony in court and never shed a tear throughout his trial. This is kind of off subject, but Heather had an email, Anthony's mommy, OA at yahoo.com. So she really pretended to be about Anthony and just like a normal mom. When it came down to it, though, she couldn't even shed a tear for him. I cried so much while researching this case. I just can't imagine it being physically possible to be so emotionless. Heather's sister testified that they were subject to some of the same types of abuse growing up. She warned her sister not to carry out the same methods of parenting that their mother had used with them. Her testimony backed the belief that the prosecutor had while Kareem carried out the acts of abuse and torture. Heather was responsible for coming up with the torture techniques and encouraging Kareem to enforce them. Heather could have stopped this at any time. Heather could have saved her children. She could have protected them. She should have. Heather chose not to, and Anthony had to pay with his life. While I think Kareem and Heather should have to pay with their lives with the death penalty, that was taken off the table thanks to their confessions. These two can now only face life in prison. I do hope they experience extreme trauma and regret during their time in prison, though. Anyone that was able to commit these acts on their own children are beyond rehabilitation in my book. I honestly don't have much to say. Like, I'm just so in shock. This is like the first case that we've done that I didn't know about beforehand, like know anything about really. So I'm just like listening and I don't even know what to say. It's hard to even talk about. Like I have to like disassociate to get through it. I know. Because watching. I'm trying to do the same thing. Yes. And like watching the interviews of like grandparents and aunts and uncles and family members, it just made it seem so real and just kind of reminded you that this was a real little boy that really went through this. The thing that is hard for me to believe is like, how does one come up with all of these techniques for torture? Like, I can't imagine like deciding like, hey, I'm going to make you kneel on a better rice because you're being bad and you're not getting up till your knees bleed. Like who comes up with that stuff? And I was shocked when you said that, um, prosecutors and even her own family members were thinking that it was Heather that was coming up with these torture techniques. I was thinking that it was more Kareem because he's, you know, in gangs and associated with gangs. So I was thinking that it came from him. Like, I'm just floored that the mother came up with these ways to torture and hurt her children. It's really sick. When Anthony was being repeatedly dropped on his head, every time it was like he was, I can't remember if he was supposed to say, like if he was supposed to not get back up. I don't remember if he just kept getting back up. So Kareem just kept doing it until he did not get back up though. He was dropping him on his head repeatedly, but he was, every time Anthony got up, because, you know, he like had to show strength to get back up. 
then Kareem did it again to show him that he was like more powerful. Like, okay, good job that you're stronger than a little boy. Anthony's biological father sued the Department of Children and Family Services after the many failed attempts to save his son from the abuse that him and his siblings had endured. His father, Victor, and three of his half-siblings who all suffered abuse will split the $32 million settlement if finalized. I have mixed feelings on this. Victor says he would have protected Anthony had he known, but why wasn't he trying to be involved in his child's life anyways? Even if Anthony was well taken care of, that doesn't change the fact that Victor was his father. He still needed that relationship. Maybe he did fight for custody and lost. I didn't find any evidence of that, but I just don't know about him getting really profiting anything out of a life that he wasn't involved in. I think it all should go to the other siblings. While researching this case, I had to stop several times just to cry and pray for this sweet boy and his siblings. They deserved so much better than this life that they were given. I think it says a lot about who Anthony was as a person, that he was known for being such a happy and loving boy, despite enduring several experiences that most of us can't even imagine as adults. Anthony was just 10 years old when he endured more pain and trauma than anyone that I know. He carried such a heavy burden so well that most people didn't even know. It's my hope that his two half-siblings can cope with the life that they experienced with their mother and stepfather and go on to live happy, successful lives. I do hope the settlement money makes its way back to them and that they can set a better example than they were given. I mentioned earlier that we don't think Kareem abused his own children. Some speculate that Heather's older children were abused because he wasn't their father and he was jealous. Others claim Kareem was homophobic and killed Anthony because he recently confessed to liking boys and girls. I stand more on the lines with his uncle David, though. This was going to happen no matter what if the kids were not removed from that environment. Heather and Kareem fed off of each other, and they did not care or need a reason to abuse their children. They just wanted to do it. Even if Heather's older kids were moved to safety, I think they would have eventually began abusing the other children they had together. I wish that Anthony's story had a different ending, and I hope that his death encourages change within the system so no other child has to suffer his fate. I believe Anthony would be overjoyed to know that his siblings, who he could no longer save food for, are no longer living in a constant state of hunger and fear. It kind of put my heart at peace knowing that he had a love for the Bible, and I hope that means he's in heaven and experiencing a level of joy that we can't even imagine. This case was incredibly difficult to research due to the conflicting claims of who was abused, where siblings lived, and who was involved. The majority of sources stated that two of his half-siblings also endured abuse. We know two of them testified in court, along with one of Kareem's daughters from another relationship. However, the settlement is being split among three children who were also victims of abuse. Perhaps there was a third child that wasn't called to testify and didn't have charges pressed on their behalf. I'm thinking that since there were a total of four children abused and authorities did not believe Kareem hurt his own children, they must have all been Heather's kids with different fathers, her four oldest children. Let me know what your thoughts are, and we'll be back next week with another episode of Bones. Don't forget to check our socials at Bones, a true crime pod. Email us at Bones, a true crime podcast at gmail.com. Follow our podcast on your favorite platform and leave reviews. I'll be posting photos related to Anthony's case today, and you can check our show notes for our sources. See you next week.